Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode two, The Ribbon of Mystery. My friend Hannah Weber is a scientist whose work focuses on understanding the ecological role of Ascophyllum nodosum, what most people would call rockweed or even just seaweed, along Maine's shoreline. She has a great phrase for the intertidal zone. She calls it the ribbon of mystery because of all the unanswered questions it holds. I agree. It is a mysterious place. And that's what I want to talk about today. Part of what frames the intertidal zone as mysterious is how people think or don't think about it. The National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, a.k.a. NOAA, is responsible for publishing the charts that mariners use to navigate the coastal ocean of the United States. Charts are simply maps, but their primary objective is to provide information about the land under the water rather than above the sea surface. Mariners use this information to navigate boats safely, avoiding areas where the water is too shallow for their vessel or where underwater obstacles are present. The most basic type of information on a chart, then, is water depth, which sounds very straightforward. How deep is the water here? But in the marine environment, that question is a lot more complicated than it sounds. How deep the water is depends on where you are in the tidal cycle and how large the tidal range is. An area that may be easily passable at high tide could cause you to run aground at low tide. The solution to this problem is to mark the charts with the depth of water at low tide, as in, in general, this is the lowest amount of water you're going to find here. To be more precise, the sea surface level that depth is measured from is mean lowest low water. Where there are two low tides a day, you take the level of the lower of the low tides each day for a 19-year average, and you use that as your starting point. On the chart... That level looks like a solid or dotted black line separating the blue areas, a.k.a. water, from the green or tan area, a.k.a. exposed land. So hold that thought for a minute, that we start counting depth down into the water from mean lowest low water level. Coastal charts often contain topographic information in addition to depth or bathymetric information. Just like measuring depth requires a zero point, so does measuring elevation. Elevation on a nautical chart, the height of coastal landforms, is not measured from the same zero point as water depth. On a nautical chart, elevation is counted up from mean high water, the average height of all the high tide levels. This ensures that if you're on a boat trying to decide whether or not you can make it under a bridge, the elevation of the bridge that is shown on the chart is the lowest it could potentially be when the surface of the water is highest, at the average height of high tide. What this means relative to the intertidal zone, though, is that there's this weird space in between our two different systems of accounting for where we are vertically in the world. We count down from low tide and up from high tide. In this space in the middle, we don't really count. And I like that, that this space doesn't conform to our systems of quantifying the world. And so we don't really know how to count it, and we haven't really decided who as a whole owns it, or if it can be owned at all. The laws around whether the intertidal zone is private property or public commons vary from state to state. In Maine, the intertidal zone is owned by the upland property owner, but the public is allowed to access the shore if they're engaged in certain activities, fishing, fowling, or navigation. And this access clause dates back to the beginning of the colonial era. The property can be private, but the resources are public. 
And more recently and strangely, the courts have decided that certain intertidal resources are privately owned and not public. And that brings us back to seaweed and Hannah's research on the ribbon of mystery. Managing this habitat has proven to be difficult because we don't know enough about it in a scientific sense. And we haven't philosophically decided how to delineate the span of this dynamic space. Every minute it is changing with the rise and the fall of the tide. And on top of that, sea level is slowly but relentlessly rising and changing all the baselines. So enjoy that idea that the intertidal zone defies and complicates our attempts to quantify the world. And the essential rhythm of the tide, while comfortingly consistent, means that this place is changing every moment of every day. Mysterious indeed. This has been episode two of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist Sid Hartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week.